Let's turn in our Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to continue in the series that we've been in, A Walk Worthy of the Lord. And today I'm going to talk about the the subject of gentleness. Uh, As I promised the last week I would. Now I know that's not uh, particularly the topic that tends to get people all excited and fired up. But I will just say this, that as I was reading through these verses on walking worthy of the Lord, that this particular issue, I feel like was very much highlighted to me as a very important and very neglected core fruit of the Spirit and core virtue of Christianity. Gentleness. A core virtue of Christianity, and I think it's very much neglected. And so uh, I, I felt like the Lord was just uh, really highlighting it to me so that we could get our eyes on it, get our minds around it, around this, this, uh, this virtue, unto being, being more conformed to the image of Christ. Because you're going to find out as we walk through this, this is about Jesus. A worthy walk is ultimately about a walk that Jesus likes, a walk that's valuable to him. Something, it's a lifestyle that, that Jesus would want us to live. A, a, a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Lord. And so uh, this issue of gentleness is right there, at the, it's right there at the center of what it means to live a life pleasing to the Lord. A worthy walk. Let's, uh, let's look at Ephesians 4. Verse 1. Verse we've been looking at the last few weeks. Paul, he's speaking from prison. He's in a Roman prison. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. He's saying, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling. And we mentioned before that worthy of the calling, worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel. It all means the same thing. It's worthy of the name by which you are called. Worthy of Christ. Worthy of the calling with which you are called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is the New King James Version. And last week we came out of the New American Standard. It's with meekness, all meekness, all humility, all gentleness, all patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. What we found out was that one of the key issues, and this just really requires emphasis because we just don't do such a good job of this in the church. One of the key issues to walking worthy of the Lord, living a life that's pleasing to Jesus, is laboring and uh, striving, as another verse says, uh, working together for unity in the body. Unity in the body. The Lord emphasizes that. And we talked about that last week at length. But I want to just, again, mention, there are no circumstances by which we should come out and just rail on other members of the body of Christ. I'm not talking about people that name the name of Christ but preach heresy, that that they preach doctrines that are not from the Scripture. I'm talking about believers There's no circumstances where we should come out against 
other believers. There's a unity of the Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ. The Holy Spirit is not divided against Himself. Amen. And therefore, we should live our lives endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And it's this constant admonition over and over and over and over through Scripture not to be divisive, not to bring disunity, but to have the same mind and the same heart and speak the same words even and have hearts that are connected by Holy Spirit with one another. And so I just want to reemphasize that, that we're not to talk negatively about each other. If you have a problem with somebody, you go to them. Everybody say, go to them. You go to them and you talk to them. And I don't mean you go to them and go, I've got a problem with you. What I mean is, go to them and say, hey, you and me, we got to get on the same page. Because we love Jesus. How do we do that? And with all humility and meekness, we work things out. We talk through things. We repent and we humble ourselves. And we do whatever we can to be at peace and be at unity with one another. Okay, good. That was last week. This week, it's gentleness. Gentleness. I'll give you a simple definition of gentleness. You know, you could think that gentleness just simply means, you know, I don't know. It, it may evoke a lot of images in your mind. You know, maybe somebody who likes flowers or, you know, extra sensitive, is good with colors. I, I, I don't know. You know, and when you think of gentleness, I don't know what you think of, but it could evoke interesting pictures Stuffed animals and such. Uh, he's, he's not talking about necessarily this um, sort of uh, these kind of images. He's talking about a, a, a whole different idea because Jesus is going to, we're going to see some verses where he identifies himself as gentle, but we also know that Jesus was very impassioned, very zealous, very intense. And so uh, all of you that are, you know, passionate, intense people, right now you can just, uh, just breathe easy because I'm not going to tell you that you can't be passionate, you can't be zealous, you know, because you have to be gentle. That, that's not the point. There's a whole different idea of gentleness. A simple definition uh, for gentleness is tender kindness to the weak and broken. Tender kindness to the weak and the broken. Gentle. I just was meditating on this word and, and just, just realizing that there in the church, <clears throat> we don't tend to handle our own who are suffering and struggling as gently as I believe we ought. Uh, it's been said, you know, in the church, we just, we just sh- shoot the wounded. You know, we just, we take them out. When people are down, we don't tend to lift them up. We, we, we tend to beat them down. And, you know, oftentimes in the church, when you see somebody that's struggling, uh, people will think, oh, they must deserve that. They're in sin, or they've done this and that, and they deserve what they're getting now. Beloved, I just want to say, that's not the mind of the Lord. It's not the biblical testimony of how we're to handle people that are going through challenges. It's not the biblical testimony of how we're to handle people that are going through sin. And you're going to find that uh, this issue of being gentle, tender-hearted 
toward the weak and toward the broken. This issue of being gentle, it is supposed to be a governor really over all of our activities. Gentleness. Gentleness. Now, when you look up the words for gentleness and you study them out in the New Testament, you'll find out that the word gentleness and meekness, they go hand in hand. They're, they're, they're virtually uh, cousins in, in terms of what we're talking about. Meekness being humility, being one who lowers himself on purpose to serve and bless others. Gentleness being one who handles others tenderly, who are in, in challenges and in trials. You know, I was thinking it through and uh, I was just thinking how even challenging it is for us oftentimes to just be gentle with people who maybe they're not just in a challenge or a trial, but maybe they just disagree with you. You know what I'm talking about? Like the person has a differing opinion. and you, I mean, it can be as simple as, man, that really, I really like that color of blue. And the person goes, that's not blue, that's purple. You, don't, you can't see purple? I mean, come on, that's purple. And the person goes, no, no, no. That's blue. What are you, colorblind? And then all of a sudden, people are beating each other up over the most simple things, over just, just, I mean, silly disagreements. They don't handle each other gently. And uh, that's this, this idea of humility and gentleness. They go hand in hand because there's, there's this lowering of yourself uh, required in both. And there's a lowering of yourself a lowering of your mentality yourself required in gentleness. And so uh, the immediate image I got when I started thinking about this was the, the superhero movies. You know, they've got the Spider-Man movies out and just these different ones. But like in Spider-Man, the guy gets bit by a spider and he wakes up the next day and he's all of a sudden he's really strong. And he'll go and he tries to open the door, but he like rips the doorknob off. And then he goes and he, you know, he tries to do this and that. And he's so strong, he doesn't know his own strength. And he's, got, he, he, he's like breaking everything everywhere he goes. He's got to learn to be gentle. Gentleness is about having your strength under control. It's about having your, your emotions having your, your passions, having whatever you, you know, whatever you're zealous about, having it under control. And instead of going and, you know, ripping the doorknob off because you don't know your own strength, you just approach it gently. You just approach people gently. You approach them with uh, meekness of your heart and, and with a, a gentle mind. I was thinking about the Lord God is omnipotent, is he not? He's all-powerful, right? Yet he holds us. All the possible strength there is, it's an infinite amount of power that he has, yet he holds us without crushing us. He reveals himself to us without absolutely scaring us. I mean, he veils himself because if he showed you and I in our state right now all that he is, it would disintegrate us. His continual, you know, temperament is gentle. He's always gentle. It's a refraining of acting in all the power that he has. He is gentle. 
And just think about Jesus. He comes, he's God in the flesh, and he comes as a human. That's an expression of gentleness. Power being governed. Just him walking around as a man, that's gentleness. The way he handles humanity in his, in his, uh, his first uh, uh, coming, totally gentle. Governed strength, power under control, restrained ability. These are the ideas of gentleness. Restrained ability. Now, if you are a good arguer, maybe I shouldn't ask for a show of hands, but if you're a good arguer, you probably know who you are. I know I'm a good arguer, so I can talk right to you. You're probably not very gentle because good arguers want to win the argument. They know how to get their word, you know, the words they want together, craft the argument, make the other person look foolish, and win. If you're a good arguer, you just like to win. You know, I mean, on the inside you're arguing, you know you're wrong, but the the issue isn't whether or not you're right or wrong, you just want to win. Just trying to win, because I'm good at winning arguments. And that is the perfect example of somebody not operating in gentleness, Have you ever been in that place? You're saying all sorts of stuff. You're arguing. Your temper's up. You're fighting. You're saying all sorts of different things. And you're thinking while you're saying it, I shouldn't be saying these things. This is bad. I'm in the flesh. I'm being carnal right now. But I'm winning. If we would just employ a little gentleness, we would get our strength under control, and we would humble ourselves a little bit, we wouldn't get into that place. Gentleness is so, so important. It's so important. It's Jesus. He is gentle. He is, he is the, the epitome of gentleness. God is the epitome of gentleness. I was thinking about how often I've overlooked this idea of gentleness. I have a question for you. What do we call a man who handles himself in a good way with others. A what? Gentleman. He's a gentleman. That, that, I mean, that's what we say about a guy that's a, a good man. But we just overlook it. This necessity of gentleness. All right, let's look at Jesus. Matthew 11. See what Jesus said about himself in verse 29. Why is gentleness important? Well, because Jesus is gentle. This is one of the key ways he describes himself. I mean, we can look at it and and deduce that he's gentle. He's God in the flesh and he's not like blowing everybody up. I mean, we can deduce that he's got his, his power under control, that he's handling people with gentleness. But what does he say about himself? In Jesus' own depictions of himself, what does he say? Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And look at it. He says, and then you'll find rest for your souls. 
There's something about being able to govern your soul in a way where you can dial down and you can choose meekness. You don't always have to, you know, get your point across and you can choose gentleness. You don't always have to win and you can get your soul under control. There's something about it that actually is life-giving to your heart. A lack of gentleness and a lack of meekness will find somebody's soul in disarray. But he says, in meekness and in gentleness, you will find rest for your soul. A a soul that's receiving invigoration. Why? Because that's how Jesus is. He says, I am gentle. I am gentle. I think sometimes we tend to see the picture of Jesus with, you know, the lamb wrapped around his neck and we go, eh, it's kind of sentimental, kind of mushy. You know, we like the Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth and the fire in his eyes. Like, give me the Jesus that's raising the dead. Give me the Jesus that's flipping the tables. We kind of like the intense Jesus and we kind of brush off the, the images of Jesus that have him kind of, you know, uh, well, gentle. <laughs> but he is gentle. He is gentle and fully, fully zealous. He is, he is completely tender toward the broken, and he's fully on fire. He is boldness and gentleness perfectly combined in one package. And beloved, therein is our challenge, because it's very difficult for us to be bold and meek and gentle. Usually when we're bold, we step out of meekness and we step out of gentleness. Jesus Christ, the perfect package of boldness and gentleness. The perfect package of zeal and gentleness. That's Christ. That's God. Zealous and gentle. Zealous and gentle. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Zealous for righteousness And gentle, stooping in the dirt with a harlot, with a woman caught in adultery. There is a a well of revelation in this concept of gentleness. I'm telling you, as we find it, we'll find Jesus. Because he is gentle. He is gentle. It's not one to be brushed off and sort of looked at as one of the lesser ideas, lesser virtues. It is a critical, central virtue, virtue. In Matthew 21, you don't have to turn there, verse 5, when Jesus is coming in the triumphal entries, he's coming to Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey. The prophet Zechariah prophesies, behold, your king is coming gentle and mounted on a donkey. The king is gentle. These are just thoughts we have to stare at Because if we just brush gentleness off, we're missing one of the chief features of the nature of Jesus. I want to know him. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? I want to know this. I want to know this king, this God of the universe who describes himself as gentle, who comes to be crucified as a king who is gentle. I want to know him. Uh, one of the things that Isaiah prophesied about Jesus that's so critical to this understanding of gentleness, it's, uh, 
It's found in Isaiah 42. It'll come up on your screen. I'm moving us through a Bible study a little bit, so just hang in there. But these phrases are so important so we can, we can really understand who he is as the gentle God. <clears throat> Isaiah 42, verse 2. Speaking of Jesus, speaking is the one that will bring justice. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. I love this about Jesus. The one that's bruised, the one that's hurt, he takes care with the bruised. He's he, it's, the picture is a, a reed that's got a, a, a bend in it. He takes care with that reed so as not to break it. The, the person who's gone through a bruising in their life, he takes care with them so as not to break them. And a smoking flax is talking about one whose fire has waned. They're down to that, that last little ember of light, that last little ember of fire. He doesn't snuff it out. He doesn't say, you should be more filled with fire. Look at you. Why aren't you better than this? He says, no, no, no. I see that smoke. I see that little yes. I see that little bit of, that little bit of fire that's still in you. I won't extinguish you. I will help you to catch flame. He's careful with the smoking flax. He's careful with the bruised reed. This is the message people need to know. Jesus is careful with you in your brokenness. He's careful with you in the bruisings that you've gone through. He, he sees your heart when the, when the flame is dialed down and he knows exactly how to cause that smoking flax to burn into an inferno once again. He's going to be very careful not to put out the smoking flax. This is our Jesus. He's so gentle with those that are in need. But probably for me, the, the, as I was thinking it all through, the, the experience of gentleness that, that's uh, most obvious in the scripture, it's found in David. David encounters God's gentleness in such a way and he leans into it and hopes in it, hopes in, in God's mercies and his gentleness over his life to such an extent that it, it exalts David, him knowing the gentlenesses of God. Look it up, Psalm 18. Psalm 18, we won't read the whole psalm, we'll just read a little, little portions of it. Psalm 18, David is expounding on the fact that he has been divinely enabled by God to do all sorts of stuff he could have never done. And he goes through lists of things that are just, they're nearly superhuman. Uh, I'll just read a little of it from like verse 29. We'll just read forward. It says, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. 
The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all those who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Verse 35. You've also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. This psalm is a psalm of the victories of the Lord as they're worked out in David's life. David encounters the gentleness of God. And here's what he's doing. He's working through in his mind. He's thinking about his journey into being the king, uh, being placed as the king over all of Israel. This, This journey from being this young boy on the backside of the desert, you know, tending sheep, called out by the prophet, and then exalted into, the, in, into Saul's house, and then kicked out, and then a fugitive, and on the run. And he's thinking about this entire journey that he goes through, till ultimately the prophet's words are fulfilled, something about 20 years later, and he's the king over all Israel. And he's, he's reflecting on the whole deal in Psalm 18. He says, you, you've You've done so much for me. And then he goes, you've strengthened me. You've held me. Your gentleness made me great. See, the key to the passage is verse 1. Verse 1. David's writing this after he's gone through all of it. He's reflecting on it. Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke of the Lord, the words of this song, on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. You think about David and you go, man, God's tender dealings with David is what David says made him great. And immediately we would would tend to think David's talking about the whole Bathsheba issue where God restores him after he, he really has a massive failure. Beloved, he writes Psalm 18 before that event. He's talking about other times in his life where God's gentle interactions in, him, in his life and David's weakness are what have seen him through and ultimately exalted him. And I want to point out two of them. And, and, and to me, it's just, you know, when I read these st- the story of David's life and I read through these portions, I go, is this like, this is our David who did this? Wow. I can't believe he did this. I mean, the, the whole Uriah and Bathsheba event is horrifying. But he did other stuff that literally, in my mind, matches it. We just don't tend to think of those. So, I'll just lay them out for you. You can write them down. In 1 Samuel 21... <clears throat> He has been kicked out of Saul's court for the second time. He's not going to return. He's on the run. He goes to the priest. He says, you have, do you have any weapons? I, I, I need like to arm myself. I am in trouble. And, and, and the priest gives him Goliath's sword. From there, he goes and makes a beeline to the Philistines. Now, last time I checked, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. 
He goes from being in Saul's court, gets a huge sword, the sword of, of Goliath of Gath, and then you know who he goes to is to the king of Gath. Why is he doing that? Because he's going to form an allegiance. He's going to get an alliance with the king of Gath. Because he realizes he doesn't have what it takes to stand against Saul and Saul's men. And Saul's got all these uh, assassins that he's hired to hunt David down. So he gets Goliath's sword and he goes to Gath. And Achish, the Philistine king, hears about it. And David's heart melts in front of him, inside of him. He thinks, whoa, wait a what am I doing? I am their sworn enemy. I am the one that killed Goliath, their champion. Oh no, I've made a critical strategic error and in his mind, he's thinking, how do I fix this? And those of you that know the story, some of you guys are smiling. You know what he does. He begins to act like a lunatic. He acts like a madman, begins to scratch at the door. This is our David. <laughs> you know, Psalms, David. Scratching at the door, frothing at the mouth, the Bible says, till his spit went down his beard. He just goes completely, he tries to act completely insane. He's not insane. He just makes himself look like that because there he is in the custody of the Philistines and he's, whatever he's doing, spitting all over himself. Until the, the king comes out and looks at him and says, what do I want with this? I don't want, I don't even, this is not even a good trophy for me. He goes, I don't even want to deal with this man. This is, ooh. He, think about it, David. Scratching at the gate and at the door of the Philistine city of Gath. I mean, he's digging his nails into the door. I mean, you know, how... <laughs> How crazy do you have to act for a king to actually look at you and think you really are crazy? Pretty crazy. That's our David. So he does that and he leaves from there and he goes to the cave of Adullam. And he goes through seven years in the cave of Adullam. And here's the deal. On two different occasions, it looks like he's going to be reconciled with Saul just to find out that Saul is... It's not being real. He's not being authentic. And so then David now, with 600 men, with, you know, quite a bit of, you know, livestock and and goods and wares, now he goes back to the Philistine king. And he goes back to him, and, and this is in 1 Samuel 27 through 29. You get the story. He goes back to Achish. This time he's got an entire entourage. This time he does make an alliance with Achish. And Achish gives him his own city. Where David sets up camp for 14 months. No, 16 months. He's living in a Philistine city for 16 months. Now what's his promise? His promise is that God's going to make him the king over Israel. Saul is not budging. Saul is not bringing David back. So what's David do? He goes and makes an alliance with the Philistine king. Why? Because the Philistines are going to eventually 
fight Saul. And you're going to find out in chapter 28 and chapter 29, the Philistines, it comes back around. They said, okay, we are going out to fight against Israel. And so they get together to go fight Israel. And David jumps in line with them. David is going to fight with the Philistines against Israel. David, who is anointed by God to be the king, and really one of his chief you know, things that God had anointed him for was to bring deliverance from the hand of the Philistines. He jumps on the other team. He's completely on the other team. He's going out in military battle, in, in military array against Israel, and the, the hand of the Lord's mercy comes in where the Philistine kings go, wait, isn't this David the one that they sang that best-selling hit about? About how he's killed like thousands and thousands of us? Isn't this a problem with anybody? And they say, we were not going to let him go out and fight with us. And so they turned David back around. David has completely jumped to the fence. And the life of David is awesome. There's, I mean, if they ever did a good movie about it, it would be really good. Because the story is so powerful. But on two separate occasions, David is, one he's going to and the second time he does, forms an allegiance with the enemy. And he, I believe he's fully intent on actually taking out Saul at this point. Two times he's let Saul go. Saul has not softened. I believe now he was ready to do it. And I think here in Psalm 18, when David is going back through all the times in his life, all the weaknesses, all the sins, all the times when he left the reservation, so to speak. He's going, and there he is, in, he's, he's now king in Israel. God's delivered him from all of his enemies. There he is. He's thinking it all back through. He's thinking about the word of the prophet. And he's going, how did I get here? His gentleness. His gentleness. His gentleness made me great. God dealt with me tenderly when I was in sin. God dealt with me tenderly when I was broken. God dealt with me tenderly when I wasn't seeing the right way. God dealt with me tenderly. His gentleness is what's exalted me. Do you understand that we have a gentle God? So often we have the image of God ready to smash us when we sin. But I want to tell you something. There is judgment for sin, but the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Christ, it was his gentleness. He wants to be merciful. He wants to be gentle. When you're in that place of sin or failure or weakness or just, I mean, half the time it's just being a doofus. You know, you just do something, you go, what was I doing? God goes, it's okay. I know your frame. I know your butt dust. I got this. I got this. He's gentle. And man, to know him in his gentleness, that is absolutely life-changing because when you recognize God as the gentle God, you don't run away from him 
when you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you're in sin, you run right to him. Father, be gentle with me again. Here I am. I need you to be gentle. He goes, I love to be gentle. It's who I am. And it's his gentleness that sees us through and it's his gentleness that will, will make us great, beloved. The fact that he handles us tenderly. Amen. And let me give you a few other thoughts about gentleness. I know I'm kind of straight teaching, but I want to emphasize this and I want to call us to asking the Holy Spirit to, to work this in our hearts, to really root this in our hearts because this is a key issue. Why do I say it's a key issue? Well, because Jesus is gentle. Because Paul admonishes us to be gentle for a worthy walk. But it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness. It's one of the big ones. Look at Galatians 5. I had to like go back. I've had the fruit of the Spirit memorized for like 15 years. It is blast through them. Love, joy, peace. You know, I just blast through them. And, and I have had them memorized since like when I first got saved. And as I was studying gentleness, and it went, and it cross-referenced Galatians 5.22, I went, no. Surely gentleness isn't a fruit of the Spirit. And I started going through my list. I went, oh my gosh. Gentleness is like one of the big nine. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you, but when I read that and read that still today, and I look at my own personal gentleness quotient, and I realize that I'm not as gentle as I want to be, could be, should be, what you find out when you really read Galatians 5, and you guys know this, he's contrasting what it looks like when somebody walks in the flesh and what it looks like when somebody walks in the Spirit. And he identifies that walking in the Spirit is a product of connecting with the Holy Spirit who's on the inside. It's very similar to John 15. It's a product of abiding with the Holy Spirit, having recognition of His awareness inside of you and saying, Holy Spirit, produce the life of God in me. I want to live by your leadership and not by the desires of my flesh. So if we're living in the Spirit, these fruits... Here's the cool thing about them. You don't even have to try to make them happen. They're fruits of the Holy Spirit. He produces them in you. I'll just help you for a second. If you've ever had teaching on Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, and and it says, you've got to try to be more gentle. You've got to try to be more loving. You've got to try to be more joyful. That's completely not what Paul's teaching there. What Paul's teaching there is this. If you choose to walk after your desires of your flesh, you'll produce a bunch of fleshly stuff. And the end of the fleshly stuff is destruction. But he says, if you will choose to walk by the leading of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit's life to be produced in you, these things will be the byproduct. It's not like you just 
force it out. I've given the example before, but you've never walked past an apple tree and you see it's like branches are shaking because it's trying to pow, pop out an apple. It, it, it didn't, that didn't happen. It doesn't work like that. What, what, how does it work? You got soil, you got water, you got nutrients, the tree is there, and that thing is constructed that it will produce fruit. That's how it is with you and I. With Holy Spirit on the inside, we engage with the Holy Spirit. We ask Him to produce the life of God in us. We say yes to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We say no to the flesh. We humble ourselves. We allow the Holy Spirit to produce the God stuff in us. And all of a sudden you find, man, I just want to love that person. Man, I just feel light in my heart. I feel joyful. Man, I'm way more at rest than I used to be. And in certain, some of these areas, you just see them. I mean, you just see those fruits popping out. These virtues that Holy Spirit releases in our heart by, by the mere fact that he lives in us. God lives in us. And these are the things Holy Spirit produces. God lives in you. Think about that one for about 10 years. God lives in you. And the byproduct of having God in you are these virtues, these fruit. But the thing is, when you don't have these fruit being manifest, it's a sign that you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to produce that life in you because you're choosing to walk in the flesh by your own desires. So, when I looked at my life and recognized that there wasn't as much gentleness as I would prefer for there to be, and as is emphasized in the scripture, I had to come to grips with the fact that the reason that I'm not as gentle is because I'm a little bit in the flesh. Okay, a lot of bit in the flesh. That's, that's the bottom line, guys. When we get irked with people because they should have known better, or we didn't like how they did it. Like that one is the one to me. I just didn't like how they did that. I just, they don't need to do it like that. He's, that's just so, that lacks the nature of God. Let them be them. Let them paint it the way they want to paint it. It doesn't always have to be this black and white, right or wrong thing. They chose, you know, that color because they like that color. You don't like that color, that's okay. You're not right and they're wrong. That's what you like, that's what they like. Be gentle. You know, husband, you come home, wife's been on a project, repainting the bathroom, chartreuse with yellow stripes, kind of a green, yellow, you know, lightning. That's what she was feeling that day. Be gentle. Chartreuse and yellow is not sin. Hallelujah. My, my point is, we just get so overdone about so many things that we don't have to get overdone about. Be gentle with people. Be gentle with them in their differences. Be gentle with them in their mistakes. Be gentle with them in their sin. Ask the Holy Spirit to help. 
help you to be gentle. That's why Jesus said, learn from me. I'm gentle and meek. I'm gentle and humble. There's rest for your soul because we get so stirred up. We just get so overdone when we lack gentleness. Just dial it down and allow the Holy Spirit to direct you. And here's the thing. Enjoy the differences. Enjoy somebody else's differences. You like tiger stripes? I like gray. It's okay. Amen. A few more thoughts. James 3.13, don't turn there. James 3.13 tells us, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. When somebody has wisdom, they will be gentle because wisdom is gentle. Some people, they want to try to be sort of God's appointed corrector of everyone else because they're more wise and they can be so harsh. Wisdom isn't. Wisdom is gentle. Wisdom is gentle. That means if you see somebody who's acting foolishly and you think you can help, help them, to operate in wisdom will be to deal with the foolish gently. And not just go in there and blow their head off. Man, that's stupid. You're foolish. Here's what the five verses that the Bible says. Don't you know? That's just not it, beloved. There's a, there's a word it says entreat, entreat. And it's talking about when somebody's, you know, uh, lost their way or gotten off into sin. You entreat them as a brother or sister. And that just means you deal with them gently. Just talk to them and just, hey, how can we work this out? You can actually do confrontations without being confrontational. You can do it gently. Like Jesus. The governing key virtue when dealing with somebody in sin is gentleness. I'll read three verses. Dealing with a brother in sin, gentleness is the key. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And then the next governor is meekness. Each one looking to yourself. So you not be tempted as well. So there's this gentleness that we have to employ when approaching somebody who's even in sin. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Uh, that one dovetails right into this next point about gentleness. This is where I'm landing. When we share the gospel, when we talk to people that don't know the Lord, so often believers approach it like they've got to fight for Jesus. No, fight against sin, fight against the temptations of the devil, 
But don't fight with the lost. That, that's not fruitful. They're deceived. They don't know Jesus. They're sinners and they're going to sin well. That's what they do. So often we Christians just get so offended when sinners sin. And I understand if you get around a bunch of folks and they're just getting, you know, blasted out of their mind on, you know, alcohol or whatever. It's just a bad scene and they're talking about stuff you don't want to talk about. It can be grieving. But don't be surprised. Okay, we're coming in the holiday season. Don't be surprised when you get around your unsafe family members and they tie one on and say Merry Christmas. Don't be in shock when they get drunk to celebrate Christmas. They don't know Jesus. You know, we can just get so offended. Oh, they're just, ugh, oh, ugh. Look, they're sinners. Sinners sin. That's what they do. Brace yourself. I know that's deep. <laughs> They're going to sin, guys. That doesn't mean you've got to go get drunk too. And it doesn't mean you've got to have a sour look every time that they do something that, that you think is sin. This is what sinners do. You know what they need? They need to be instructed in, in the truth of the gospel with a gentle heart. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So he said, settle the issue for yourself. Jesus is your Lord. And then always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I remember when I was in college and it was this kind of, in vogue thing to do to get out on the campus and argue with the atheists. Christians just, you know, Christians versus atheists. Rah, 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 rah. And the atheists over there. Atheists over there. Rah, 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 rah. Here's the Christians. Rah, 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 rah. We didn't get anybody saved. I wonder why. Because we weren't operating under the Spirit of Christ. You, I, I'm convinced if the world would see a believing community who was impassioned about Jesus, hungry and bold about righteousness, but gentle and tender toward them in their sin, calling them out of destruction, man, that would make a major, major difference. They could actually hear the gospel because they're not so offended that we're so brash. Amen. So this thing is a fruit of the Spirit. This is the nature of Christ. This is what Jesus is like. This is how God has acted with you. Just like David can say, his his gentleness made me great. Beloved, his gentleness is making you great as well. I love Psalm 103. He hasn't dealt with us according to our sins. He's been merciful. If God had dealt with each one of us according to all of our sins already, what if he had already just judged us and just bam? None of us would be here. We would all be fiery, ashy, 
piles on the ground. If God just instantly judged us, he's been gentle to bring us out of sin and into righteousness. And so he's gentle with us still. And he calls us to be gentle as well. It's one of the keys to walking worthy of the Lord. It pains my heart because I've never emphasized it, never heard a message on it, much less preached one. Well, we've rectified that inequity today. Amen. Let's stand. And I made it through. I got fighting with a little sniffly stuff happening up here. Made it through without sneezing. Ashley said, you don't have to worry about that. You're not a big sneezer. But if you've got sniffles, you might sneeze. Anyway, let's pray. Be gentle towards your lost family members this holiday season. Amen? Walk worthy of the Lord. Don't have to agree with sin, but be gentle toward them. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the truth of who you are. You are gentle. We want a walk worthy. We want to be gentle with one another. Gentle with those that we don't agree with. Gentle with those that we see that are struggling in sin or failing. We want to be like you, Jesus. You don't break a bruised reed. You don't snuff out a smoldering wick. You handle us tenderly. So come, Lord, right now. Come, Lord. Breathe truth on our hearts. Where this has been a challenge for us, God, or where we've not noticed it, just like I, Lord, I just didn't pay attention to it. Please forgive me. Work your gentle spirit into my soul. Work the fruit of the Holy Spirit into my life. You know, you might have somebody in your life you haven't been so gentle with. You might just want to even go back to them and just say, I'm sorry I haven't been gentle with you the way I should have been. Please forgive me. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Jesus. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Let's just worship the Lord.